Hello, hello. It's episode 60-something of the Do More Good podcast. We're joined by a man with over 100 million and something downloads to his name, Mr Martin Yelling. He's the presenter of the ridiculously popular Marathon Talk and the founder of Stormbreak, a charity which promotes mental well-being through physical exercise. We talk about weathering the storm we're navigating, monetizing your ideas and asking for help. Plus, we have my SAS training and Kenneth's burnt dinner. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome to season five of the Do More Good podcast. You're listening to the Do More Good podcast. The Do More Good podcast. Uh, welcome to Do More Good podcast. Do more good. Do good. Do more. Do more good podcast. Do more good podcast. That's what you want me to say. Okay. You're listening to the Do More Good podcast. Right, James, here we are, back for another episode, episode number 64 of the Do More Good podcast. How are you doing? I'm good, Kenneth. I am good. Yes, I downloaded my NHS app this morning. I'm in a medium risk level. I think everybody is in a medium risk level. Everyone I've seen, everyone on Twitter, everyone I've spoken to seems to be a medium risk. How are you feeling? Medium, medium-ish? I'm a medium too. Yeah, yeah. Quite, quite right. Um, yeah, I downloaded it too, so uh, we'll see how that goes. Of course, we are... A couple of days after Boris's new statement on the, on the state of the UK, how's that gone down in the the right household? It was fine. I, I did see a wonderful um, a, a wonderful Twitter post that said a perfect example of a meeting that could have been an email. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think we all knew what was coming there, and and obviously it was delivered with his, his usual style. But yeah, he probably could have texted that. So all good. We're pre- yeah. we're prepping here for for another six months of. Um, uh, you know, bigger restrictions. So there we yeah. go. Big brew dog delivery on yeah. the uh, horizon, then, <laughs> is it? <laughs> They're just backing the lorry up now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How about you? What have you been up to? Yeah, just just sitting at this desk, pretty much, uh, locked to it. But what did I have to say this week? Oh, I did see. Uh, have you watched The Social Dilemma on Netflix? Well, <sighs> I've, I've seen it. Just to, to give our listeners a bit of an insight we have notes and I saw it listed on your notes and that reminded me that I need to watch this I'm a little bit wary of watching it because I quite like Twitter you know I quite that's basically where I get all of my information from to try and sound like I know what I'm talking about in meetings so I don't really want to give it up but yeah I've heard about this oh yeah it was it's pretty pretty scary and I think you know my eldest is is now 11 the the request for a mobile phone is getting more and more and more you know she's now going out we we had boys knock on the door the other day and can Sophie come out to play that was a moment so yeah I mean I think it's obviously an issue and and maybe today's guest will will, will will have a view and want to share his opinion but I mean you know just the way social media and and how it's affecting our brains is all all a little bit scary but there is a lot of good in it as well we shouldn't we shouldn't forget that how's things at your end anything interesting cropping up well um do you know what the thing that popped into my mind in my in my hasty scribbles for this evening was something that I saw on on the twitter have you seen the burger king Stevenage Borough thing. I have. I mean, just an incredible, thought out, 
kind of seed of a campaign that has now just suddenly exploded. It's genius, isn't it? Yeah, brilliant. absolutely. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So those who haven't seen it yet, do check it out. Basically, Stephen has decided to partner up with Burger King as their shirt sponsor which was kind of when people saw it announced, we're like, that's a little bit strange. But the idea was, is that Stevenage would have the shirt sponsor and be in the game of FIFA. And now, of course, because everyone has that, well, some people have a connection to Burger King as a brand. People around the world have been playing as Stevenage on on FIFA online. It's the most popular team that anyone has played in a league online and they have sold out for shirts for the first time ever in their history so yeah, yeah. it was Amazing. really clever they they encouraged people to share clips of their goals as as stevenage so stevenage was signing you know they got messi and ronaldo and i imagine foreman as well um, <laughs> and they were scoring some pearlers weren't they and then i mean just so clever yeah really clever really clever but look we're, we're hopping on let's let's introduce our, our guest who is patiently waiting there so i'll crack on with the intro james so our guest this week is a regular writer and coach in health, fitness and running media. And as a former and international athlete himself and married to a two-time Olympic athlete, he's a well-known figure in the running community. Not only has he coached runners, triathletes at all levels, from complete novices right through to experienced campaigners, but he's also dipped into the celebrity market and helped celebrities such as Eddie Izzard, I'm sure there's a couple of others, to kind of take on massive running challenges. He's really passionate about helping people achieve more than they previously thought possible at every level. And that really comes out in what we're hoping to talk to him about today. He's also the founder of the UK's number one running podcast, the absolutely brilliant marathon talk that he co-hosts with a former guest of Do More Good, Tom Williams. They've amassed a catalogue of work to be really proud of. And with more than 5 million downloads and more than 500 episodes, I'm sure there's a few things that we could learn from them. And with a background in sport, physical activity, promotion and health education, he recently founded the charity Stormbreak with the purpose of inspiring healthy movement to help children become happier, healthier humans forever. Now, I want to be honest at this point, I pulled this line directly from the charity's website, but I thought it summed up our guest perfectly. Our guest this week likes creating opportunity, inspiring optimism, making an impact and doing good in the world, which makes him pretty perfect guest in our book. So we're very pleased to welcome Martin Yelling to the Do More Good podcast. Martin, how are you doing? Nice to be here with you. It's great to be here. Um, I'm doing all right. I can't believe you like read all that stuff out, though. It's all true, like, isn't it? Make, makes me sound better than I am, doesn't it? <laughs> like, not wishing to get all self-deprecating, but I do want to highlight that, in fact, it's 10 million downloads. Ooh! <laughs> catching us up, Kenneth. He's catching Getting us. <laughs> 10 million downloads. You obviously need to update your website then, Martin. Yes. Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 10 million downloads, I know. Um, I mean, podcasting has, has changed in the last decade. You know, when mm. Tom and I first started Marathon Talk, we actually had to work, like, describe to people what a podcast was. Yeah. We say, We've just started yeah. a podcast and they'd go, a pod what? You know? Yeah. Um, I remember having a chat to you when I, when I came up with this idea. I mean, it, we've been going now two and a half years, you know, and, and thank you because I remember having a conversation with you and you were giving me a few tips and advice years. I'm sure you've done numerous times. I mean, the amount of people that have requested it from us since mm-hmm. going for two and a half years you know it's, it's really great great to be able to pay it forward but I think one of the things and actually we, we spoke to Tom about this briefly was just 
what we get out of the podcast, you know, actually mm. sitting down and having a conversation with some mm. brilliant and in- inspiring people that are doing amazing things. I mean, it, we, we get so much out of this that it's, it's just been incredible. I'm sure mm. it's the same for you. Yeah, I think, God, it's going to sound a bit cheesy, but, you know, one of the great things about doing the show for the last 10 years has been like when you learn an ability to take your own benefit away from something that you create. So, you know, even in the way in which you framed, like, you, you know, you framed the question cleverly as I would have expected you to. But for me now, I'm like, okay, I always try and position something as what are the people that engage with the show getting from the show? So the benefit there are benefits to me in that I love speaking to guests mainly, you know, I, I, I like hearing different stories and I think the big one of the many big benefits for me is being able to give somebody an extended opportunity to articulate their voice or passion about something. And in this sense for us, that's in running, you know, we'll, we'll be talking to someone who, who has used or, um, uses running in some way in their life to enhance you know their own kind of walk through life whether that's an elite competitor first time marathoner anybody connected I guess to the community of running so I think I now like to 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 think about okay what does what we do at Marathon Talk give to people that run which when you've been going for 10 years is a really hard thing to do because mm. you know when we first set it up we were like uh, I'm a bit tired of writing for print media that I've been doing for 10 years prior to that and thought things need to change. We need to liven things up. And now 10 years later, we've been podcasting for 10 years and I'm like, eh, maybe it's getting a bit dull. Like, honestly, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's sometimes tricky, but fun. Especially with Tom relying on those same jokes each time. But it's kind of running becomes the, the thread through it. But you can tell all sorts of different stories off, off that. As you say, you've got your kind of elite runners that, that you can you can tell different stories of life throughout through that being a kind of common thread. Yeah, you know, running is just running is is just the vehicle. It's just the mechanism. It's you know, it just happens to be a channel that has been a constant thread for me, you know, moving and being active has been an important part of my life, you know, and and so talking about it has been sharing it, I guess, with other people has been an important part of the last 15 years. Mm. When you hit that 10 million, did you celebrate? Is that, I mean, you just used to say bottles being fired across the room or? There there were no bottles being fired across the room. Uh, we we just wish you know maybe we should have charged everybody a pound for the episode. <laughs> <laughs> we I remember when we first started recording. We said, um, you know, I think Park Run hadn't been going for that long, and we've always we both. In fact, Tom now works for Park Run, but we were always big fans and supporters of Park Run, and and so we we've learned a great deal from Park Run, as I have with Stormbreak too, but. Um, we 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 said, look, marathon talks always going to be free for everyone that wants to listen, and uh, yes, yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd, honestly, I'd have let you have it for fifty p an episode, really. 
Maybe this is the point, James, where we need to introduce the 25p, the microtransactions for each episode or each listener or something like that. Um, Martin, so I, I guess, you know, the theme of the podcast and, you know, having been through a, a few episodes now is, is kind of sharing a journey of people that are trying to do more good. And as I talked about in the introduction, you know, you've, it's been a theme that's run through, through your career and particularly what you, you, you've been doing the last few years. But you know, having met you and, and spoke to you before, it's always been a part of your character about, you know, how can you help and support others? But before we kind of jump into the decision and how you got to start in and found in Stormbreak and what your hopes are for the future, could you ever have seen that when, you know, you start of your career, talk us through that few years coming out of school, education? I'm not sure. Like, you know, I went to a regular run-of-the-mill mucky state school you know and I came from a single parent family and my mum worked multiple jobs we were definitely not privileged and one of the things that that enabled me to see was where the light of opportunity was and so you know I had to actively seek out that opportunity and pursue it in sometimes in unsurprising ways like it opened up whether that was someone offering me opportunity or presenting a case for me to pursue something you know I had to work to do it but I think like spotlight on opportunity was always something I I was interested in that's how my PhD was funded you know I, I happened to have an opportunity to apply for a PhD thesis. You know, when I was training with my wife and we were, you know, running, I spent probably 10 years trying to be fast. (laughs) And my wife spent more than that getting much faster. Um, You know, we were lucky that we were able to apply for some scholarships and some grants and people were able to, we were the beneficiaries, you know, we were the beneficiaries of other people's, graciousness at providing us with opportunity and 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 that I think that stuck you know that must have stuck a little bit and now it's been realized in me saying hang on a second you know what's my what's the light of opportunity that I'm able to shine you know and and how can I do that how can I use the skills I've learned in the last 30 years to to create something of that and and what audience do I want that to be with and, and, you know, how can I turn some of that stuff into reality? And do you think, do you feel that it was sport that put you in that mindset? Because you had quite a successful sporting career and I'm guessing that you got into sport and running relatively early. I think it helped. So the one thing that, that physical activity gave me was, was direction and clarity and support networks when there's not a lot else going that well and you kind of find something that gives you a sense of achievement and satisfaction and you have a passion for, and I guess gives you a sense of self-worth and purpose and fulfillment, you know, you pursue it. And yeah, so, so surrounding myself at that time with experiences of moving were always positive, Mm. you know, so that also led to the kind of entrepreneurial spirit that you've obviously got as well. I've been setting up podcasts before podcasts were things and being quite driven towards that. And and physical activity challenges before virtual challenges were things, 
you know, I, I, I remember setting Jantastic up eight years ago. You know, we got 500,000 workouts logged in 12 weeks and people were just looking at me going, what is this? This is nonsense. You know, people virtually participating. Virtual? What do you mean? Like logging a run? No idea what you're on about. <laughs> oh, how the world has changed. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we, couldn't, yeah. we couldn't see where we are, were now and the importance of something like that you know virtual participation particularly in the you know the age and the stage of life that we're all in the conditions we're in at the at the moment some of that virtual participation is literally holding people together mm. it'll never catch on <laughs> and you like james touched on it there that kind of entrepreneurialism and yeah and you, it sounds like you've got no no regrets about that i mean i'm sure yes charging a pound for every episode <laughs> would have made you a millionaire no. you know getting jantastic at the right time at the right place it could have made you a fortune but yeah unfortunately it didn't yeah. but you've uh, always uh, thought about new ideas you've always kind of found that that line and tried to push boundaries yes definitely and there's an element of uncomfortable perfectionism and striving that that's wrapped around that that you have to wrestle with mm. but there's also I wouldn't call my so I'm not financially motivated or driven and that's really important I don't have a need for shiny things you know I'm not driven by stuff for me I think that's a healthy thing because it it means that it, well it's healthy and also ineffective sometimes particularly in in the charitable sector because I often do too much you know and as you both will have first-hand experience of it's difficult and many of your listeners will have first-hand experience of you know you can invest so much of yourself actually that you become kind of crazy busy and it's unsustainable and so yes there's a huge amount of entrepreneurial social entrepreneurial spirit I would hope it's driven by kind of integrity reputation ethical purpose over fi financial gain well, there is no you know I'm not interested in in that at all I think we need a certain way of defining success and, and I was lucky to define that really early in non-financial terms in my own life and be comfortable with that mm. um yeah and then kind of talking virtual which is where everything has has gone this past six months but also as yeah. we're going to touch on mental health and, and and logging runs and maintaining a level of kind of uh, sociability perhaps or, or social connections through logging activity I've certainly felt that I've worked longer hours this past six months before I've not been commuting. I haven't been having that, that time to myself and kind of switching off from that and, and, uh, and getting out and doing some exercise. We've, we've lost that in society for the past little while and, and that feels crucial to mental health. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a relational element to being active, although I do a lot of my own personal running now is on my own. You know, I swim with some friends, but swimming's not conducive to effective conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Got my head under the water. I can't, you know, in, not in the sea. fish. <laughs> it's, not, it's not very good. It's not very chatty. <laughs> I miss a little bit of that. Yeah, I do miss a little bit of that. And I'm not so keen as probably everybody else isn't either on all the, you know, the Zoom stuff that we've had. Yes, it's been benefits to connect people, but um, I'm kind of a bit, got a bit of Zoom fatigue. And just touching on running, Martin, I mean, I, I first met you probably three or four years ago when I was working at Alzheimer's Research UK. I reckon it was more than that, I'm afraid, mate. I oh, it really probably do. was, wasn't it? Maybe five, six years ago. 
Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Part sure, of you can what, dig out some photos. I think I've got, got some. A part <laughs> of what, a part of what Liz and I have done for the last fifteen years, I guess, is support individuals and organisations, including charities, with. I guess helping runners who are raising money for their charities to complete their challenge. Mm. You know, we recognized quite early on in the running journey that being able to, to support a runner in a fundraising journey in this example is really important. It's important mostly to the charity because a charity who signs up a runner for a mass participation event has a real vested interest in, in that runner's fundraising and the outcome of that runner, you know, finishing. And they want it to be not only a massively positive experience for that runner, but also for their, you know, their relationship with the charity that they're raising money for, you know, hopefully they'll be able to, to retain that relationship with, with them as a fundraiser. And it's the start of a long-term fundraising relationship that sits beyond that single event, getting them, those people to the finish and supporting them to have an amazing experience is an important part of what we did still do elements of with our work. And so I think that's how, how we probably met. You were on the mm. team at Alzheimer's Research UK and we were supporting their running team. Yeah, absolutely. And I was just going to, I was just going to talk about kind of, as you touched on, it was important, certainly at that time to kind of really make the runners, the supporters of the charities, give them the best experience. You know, I mean, the the, the expert knowledge that you have in terms of coaching and, and really making, making runners feel like it is possible. And, and I mean, obviously I've known you now since being at London Marathon events and obviously the work that you've done with us now, it's, it's, it just fills people. You, I remember coming out of meet the experts where, you know, you get up on stage and you talk to them through what the experience is and, and people almost walk out of there with their, their shoulders back, their chest up, yeah. that confidence. And my question is, Martin, I guess at this time when we haven't got the events on and obviously charities are struggling in terms of kind of recruiting fundraisers, are you still active in that field? are you still kind of coaching and, and do you do you see it, it, it coming back down the line so a little coaching mm. you know not so it's a, a little bit like the lineup to the previous discussion you know founding Stormbreak and and starting Stormbreak's taken up a, a significant amount of time and, it, and is is taking up more and more time and so something has to go. Otherwise, I'm, I'm not going to be able to. You, you just can't do everything all the time in the way in which you want to. Mm. And so, yes, I'm still doing a little bit of coaching. Uh, we both still still help. I'm still working with the London Marathon, which I really enjoy. It is really, really important when people feel a sense of uncertainty and they're out of control so in a marathon event, for example, you might think I haven't trained enough or, you know, I haven't done enough running. I'm not fit enough. I can't do it. And you're fearful about what that could bring. Of course, the last six months, lots of people have been hugely fearful about their jobs, you know, their security, their income, their health, health of their loved ones. And there's definitely some commonality between understanding how to live with uncertainty and understanding how to like grapple with fear and, and navigate that, that landscape so that, that like the world doesn't come crashing around your ears around mm. you, you know, 
mm. like the working at home thing that we're all doing for some, some people find it really you know it's been been really hard certainly um, we, we started this some of us thought this is gonna be a bit of a sprint we're gonna be back in back in the office by april it, this is turning not into a marathon yeah. it's like an ultra marathon. Well, you know what it feels like with this it feels a little bit like i've been doing a marathon right and um i'm going 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 and, and like been running along the, the the embankment in london thinking get in i'm nearly there right and, I, and, I, and i've got to westminster bridge and someone's gone go back to the start mate go on back you go like, no back to this no yeah. it's kind it, of where it, i feel at the moment there's some kind of classic sas thing isn't there yeah i've only read it in books i've never done it obviously but um when you come around the like, you, you come around the corner and they say right you've got to go another 20 miles and as long as you then carry on round that corner in that forest or whatever it is then the truck's there and they'll take you home and give you a yeah, and, yeah that, and, take that step but that is you know that is is resilience you know that's endurance <clears throat> that's capacity to endure that's you know flexibility that's adaptation and until you find yourself in that moment you're not really sure how you can respond, you know, mm. and, and you'll know with starting the, the podcast and people listening will know with charities they work for or they raise money for. It's like not always a bed of roses. Mm. You know, sometimes you really have to endure something. And I think for me, you know, going back to some of the questions you asked at the beginning of the interview, I know I have a tolerance for endurance it's something I've learned to do, you know, whether that's physical endurance, running comrades or completing Ironman or, or whether that is stickability at a task, you know, it's something that I've learned to develop. What advice would you give from your experience of learning that endurance then Martin, if there's people that are listening to this thinking, this is feeling like that ultra marathon when I've only trained for a 10 K. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a comfort in uncertainty. Mm. So, so often we hear in these situations, oh, you've got to respond with you know, this massive robustness and you've got to be all bravado and, you know, you've got to grit your teeth and, and actually you need, you know, a, a, a calm state of discipline, focus to realise that it will be okay. Mm. It might not be exactly as you want it right now. Uh, you might not be fully in control in the way in which you want it to be, but doing what you can do in that particular moment will be enough for you to get through to the next one. It is the same as, as, as ultra running. Focus on the next step in front of you in the trail. You'll get through that one uh, uh, and keep doing that. And you stand a better chance of, of making it through, you know, and that's, that's true for all of us right now, isn't it? Yeah. No, we, we like keep putting one foot in front of the other. We'll get there. Martin, you spoke at the start about the, the, the light of opportunity and, and, and you seeing that during your early, early years, earlier years, what, 15, 20 years, 30 years ago, was it? Something like that? Yeah, yeah we'll, not, we'll not go there. But yeah, I want to get on to, to, to Stormbreak. Yeah. And I mean, I know you've been speaking to me about it and we've had a conversation maybe up to two years ago, but yeah. where did the idea manifest itself come? What, what was that opportunity or that light where you thought, okay, there's something that's needed here and maybe I'm the person to have that one conversation, kick it off, found yeah. a social enterprise. Talk us through that. So I think the seeds for that probably came again, getting told off on a plastic chair 
in a room with no windows as a kid isn't any fun. Being told what to do and how you should do it in a shouty way never did much for a rebellious, curious boy. And so what did work was moving. Whether that was, you know, kicking a ball, throwing a frisbee, running up and down a hill, playing with friends, whatever it was. So I think I knew from an early age that the way to support emotional regulation for me was through movement. And as an adult, many people probably feel the same, even if they don't know it. Had a rough day at work. What do you do? I'm just going to go for a quick walk. Take the dog out. Going to go to an exercise class. Just going to, you know, go into the woods going to do something you know I'm just going to move and and when I get back I'm glad I did it it doesn't need to be and neither should it be I'm going to train for a marathon and over the year over the years I guess what I learned was that like moving is this incredible vehicle for regulation my own uh, PhD was actually in physical activity promotion and and education policy behavior change and so what do we do with physical activity to change behavior and at that time everything was focused on an obesity agenda and I can remember thinking well it's all on move more move more move more we've got to get you know kids moving more we've got this frightening couch potato generation and you know my whole PhD was about that apart from elements of it that started to be about well how do kids feel and what makes them feel better and how do they start to think about their emotions. And then a postdoc, my postdoc at Loughborough was all about organizational change and professional development in education. And then I carried my wife's bags for about 15 years and came back to it. I've now got three little kids. And I thought, I wonder what happens in schools with all this stuff. I wondered if there was a little more space to teach trusted adults and grown-ups in inverted commas I don't count myself as one of those just yet this with a skill set to support children using movement to shape their own mental health where the mental health of the child is forefront to that discussion not the physical health and that's effectively how Stormbreak was built that that's the concept and so we've now built programs services people, teams, digital, all around how to coach and use movement to support young people, children, to shape their own mental health positively. And the the two are so, I mean, it feels so obvious that the two are linked. Maybe a little while ago, we wouldn't have seen that. Yeah, you definitely wouldn't have seen it so prevalent in agenda. Mm. So when I was at school, there was no talk about well, certainly I don't recall any talk of mental health. There was a lot of talk about physical and push yourself physically, but there was no link between the two. Whereas, no. like, as we say, now it feels so obvious to us that the two are. Uh, and I think it feels obvious if you're a mover. It's not so obvious if you're not. Mm. And so one of the challenges is to help support non-movers believe that they can be role models for children around movement so trying to break down some accessibility and inclusivity messaging Mm. you know it's a little bit like in the early days of of park run many people would have thought that going for a five kilometer run on a saturday morning around a park was something that they couldn't do 
well now of course you know people believe that going for a run around the park uh, on a Saturday morning it, it is something that they're really capable of and so the challenge for me is can we show children that movement can be used as a transformational and a transitional strategy to support their mental health because we don't need to wait till we're 40 to realize that going for a run or a swim or or doing an a, a, a movement activity which is effectively a storm break so a storm storm breaks the name of the charity because movement gives you a break from the storm and helps you create some calm amongst chaos so concept of regulation and that's not me you know that's ancient symbolism that's been around for quite a while i've just called it storm break took me ages to come up with that name <laughs> and, and and then of course that is inherently what a storm break is a storm break is an opportunity to engage in mentally healthy movement in a short accessible period of moving that you embed every day for every child so that's our goal So whilst Kenneth is off getting the drinks in, I'll just remind you that you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at DoMoreGoodPod. Or take a look at the website, DoMoreGood.uk, which is where you can sign up for the Do More Good newsletter. A reminder about new episodes, news on our latest plans, and perhaps some VIP content. Now, I'm a big fan of the like, whereas Kenneth is more of a retweet kind of guy. Either way, we'd love to hear from you with thoughts, suggestions, reviews, or just to let us know you got home okay. Anyway... He's on his way back now. I mean, Martin, I've looked, I've looked through your website and I mean, I can certainly relate a lot to what you're saying, not only through the work that you've been doing at London Marathon Events, looking at organisations such as the Daily Mile, looking at how there's a lot going on in this space at the moment, particularly around, as you touched on already, the obesity crisis. Yeah. But I guess I want to get, you know, thinking about our audience in the charity sector and, and, and thinking about a lot of people in this sector have a real passion and real drive and the money doesn't mean anything to them. They're very similar to you. I think, of course, we all need money to live, but they tend to get really immersed in their jobs. And to some points, it, you know, can be detrimental to their own mental health. But I just wanted to talk to you about the experience of actually starting Stormbreak, having the idea, you know, you know yeah. get, getting, getting the idea, thinking, OK, coming up with a great brand, which, you know, I mean, obviously you did a bit of branding at university because, you know, it's fantastic. I'm sure people would pay a lot of money for that. But what's been that? What's been the last 12, 18 months, two years? Yeah. What's it been like getting something so up and running? I enjoy that process of, of going through the motions of starting something. I've never, never started a charity before you know so it's been fraught with with difficulty you know to be honest didn't really know where to start that pesky charity commission website but I think one thing that I knew I couldn't do and also and really importantly I didn't want to do was do it on my own so so often you take on challenges like this and previously being a robust, resilient, strong, independent, performance-focused, outcome-driven, critical thinker and doer, it easily becomes dysfunctional and destructive when you try and do everything yourself. So I recognized, hang on, I don't know very much about this landscape. I need good help. I've got the ball, who wants to play? There's this amazing playground that we can all inhabit Let's kick it around and, and see what we can build and see what we can do. And in the last couple of years, we're still 
we're microscopic as a as a charity you know i would love stormbreak to be able to be impactful across the settings that we're just starting to see benefits in my dream is that stormbreak is a sustainable charity with real reach and scale able to make impact you know in health in education in social settings and we've got some amazing projects in those areas starting but it's also a huge challenge it's a huge challenge operationally mm. it's a huge challenge resource wise and it remains that for the last couple of years it's you know it started off with just just me just me on my own you know writing funding applications writing trying to get hold of schools to do the program you know writing the resources and materials blagging as much of other people's pro bono help as i could possibly get really wringing every last minute out of of them and i've had some incredible support from too many people to mention over the last 18 months stormbreak wouldn't be where it is at all today and like we're on the edge of really being able to make some powerful impact to some children and families you know my biggest fear is that we won't get that opportunity mm. so i'm kind of still hunting the spot the the opportunity light mm. what's been the highlight for you so far so i think the highlight for me has been hearing the stories from people we've worked with around ch- whether they're children or adults that work with children around how they've implemented the Stormbreak programs into their work and they've seen change. Mm. For example, stories, <clears throat> you know, in, in schools, we started off with doing, doing our work in schools and we still run programs for schools. You know, when you hear children use a different language, one of our principles is to use movement as a healthy way to engage with conversation around mental health so instead of saying to your children when you're running how fast are you going to run today or how do you feel about you know there's nothing physical nothing technical it's an opportunity to say how's you know what's going on in your day and when you get back that's a a mentally healthy movement opportunity is is in in the coaching that we do what we call it and so we're trying to teach people to find those opportunities. So it's a real approach to using movement to find an opportunity to have a conversation. I'd obviously been looking on your website and I'd, I'd been aware of the conversation, but, you know, obviously ahead of today kind of started looking into it and I'd noticed something. And I think actually I listened to another podcast that you were on when we were on Free Weekly Timed and you were, yeah, you were talking yeah. about it on there about it's an opportunity to have the conversation. My daughter yesterday had a bit of a meltdown over a certain issue at school, and and we were just out running, and she were, and we we spoke about that, and actually that was just just what you said. So it does it does work. People are we we have seven of these core principles, mm. you know, and we have five core concepts, and every storm break that you do is carefully curated to give opportunities to have those types of conversation or to work within one of our concept we've got some videos animations on on the website and those animations will describe each of those concepts and then each of the storm breaks is related to one of those storm breaks so for example self-worth 
unfortunately, the use of social media and its prevalence amongst children, you know, young, under 13, it's not just older children, can leave their self-worth in tatters like they are not valued they don't know their place of value in the world they feel they don't matter and you know we have a responsibility to teach them that they do have a place in the world and that they can value themselves and that they do matter what's really clear is that if we don't teach our children that opportunity the reporting of incidences of things like self-harm caused through direct use of social media platforms is is going up Mm. you know so we we have a responsibility to to act and and to do something and movement is one of those ways that we can start to have conversations and do things that can improve young people's children's self-worth as long as we do it right Mm -hmm. and that's really important so if you were to run your kids around the block and tell them off for not keeping up or say that they were you know, they needed the exercise because they were growing in such a way, you know, they were like their body shape was like this or they weren't fast enough. You know, you, the, the messages that you articulate through your language, really important. Mm. The way in which you validate your children's responses, your children's emotional responses is really important. And we can teach that through movement. And that comes back to to our our points earlier around this past six months I presume there's such formative years both in terms of how you view yourself and how you view exercise and your and your mental health and how you deal with stress yeah um, and presumably that is why you're focused on on those key years and then and then later on in life you go back to that you, you have your experiences of school form how <laughs> you deal with stress right so exactly right so so you know one of the things that Stormbreak we try and do is my aspiration is that we teach transitional skills to support children when things don't go right because they won't you know there will be times even you know when they grow through their life that they won't be right there'll be times as adults when it's not going well you reach a pressure point a pinch point in your life and being able to cope with that in some way in this way, it might be through movement, it could be through music, creative arts, you know, there's all sorts of other potential routes that can support people. And we hope that kids will go, actually, what I need to do is have a storm break. And we see that with some of the kids that we work with can have a storm break. And in the best and the pioneering schools that we're in, they create climates where that is acceptable and access and accessible. So instead of going, no, they will go, absolutely. And the child knows, this is what I want to do. This is where I need to be. And I'll come back into the environment for learning, more able to engage. We've had a stressful day at work. We go for a run. We come back. We don't lose our stuff with the kids. Why do we wait to a grown-ups to learn that stuff? Like, let's teach it to our children and then maybe some of it will stick. We're just starting a program in a hospital setting with inpatients and outpatients, starting programs in children, military settings. We are getting off the ground um, programs with foster and looked after children. There's great scope for Stormbreak as a social prescription model for a toolkit for self-referral. You know, there's a huge amount of work to be done that we are just scratching the surface of. 
when it comes to the business, Martin, and, and, and I think often people from the outside don't think of charities as businesses. I mean, it's something that... <laughs> I certainly didn't, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's almost when you tell, you tell people, and I'm sure people who are listening to this will, will sympathise, you know, when you tell people you work for a charity and, and they expect that you do it free in your spare time, you don't get paid. But let's not forget charities are businesses. And at the state that you are in now, and you, you talk a lot about, you know, grand plans, rolling this out into to all schools. That's where you want you want yeah, to get absolutely. What's yeah. the biggest challenge that you face at the moment in getting you there? Like what is it when you look at it as a business, what's yeah. that what's that big challenge? Scale? No, I think we've you know, we've got um a, a really scalable, particularly digital product. You know, we were fortunate that we pivoted our service provision back in june and developed with the support of um, bbc children in need and, and, and they're a million and me campaign a digital program and what that's done is that's opened out some of the scale and certainly potential for scale and we're only at phase one with that there's there's a lot of, of work to do i think for me the major barriers are around unrestricted funding for operational growth Mm. you know so in the last two years the majority of our funding has been restricted and has been very project focused and and every penny has been kind of accounted for for specific delivery and what that means is that for somebody like me who is two years into a startup charity we've now got a team of eight and a ton of people that volunteering together we're to make Stormbreak sustainable, then we need a robust and resilient operational core team to make the step from what we've achieved, which is, I think, quite a lot in a relatively short period of time, to then becoming sustainable. And so for that, we need, you know, we need financial support. It sounds brutal, but it's the, you know, it's the truth. We've worked really hard to get to this point. We're really at a tipping point of change. And, and so, yeah, it's operational, unrestricted funding and also kind of digital project costs. And you know what it is? It's all the stuff that slips through the cracks that nobody sees. Yeah. yeah. And it's all the stuff that charities, people see charities every day and they, and they don't believe that they have to pay hosting fees for the website, cleaning costs for the office, yeah. IT equipment yeah. for, the, for the staff. Yeah training for the staff, salaries, all of that stuff that really, I suppose, in general society, we don't talk about in the same sentence as a charity. And I've always felt, and I think, you know, I came relatively late into this, into the sector. And even that was my idea coming into it. So I wasn't quite sure. And I feel like there's something that's got to happen there, that there's almost a dialogue that needs to happen. Charities are really diverse, aren't they? Mm. You know, and some of them are significant in size, Mm. and very well funded and supported and others are very small and struggling there's a great deal of depth and and richness in between the small struggling ones are nothing like the big well-funded ones the small struggling ones are the ones that fall off a cliff um, and go under really quickly when things start to get get tough because there's very limited ability to be sustainable when your bank account isn't isn't deep Mm. it is really super difficult for lots of people listening at the moment particularly those that work in third sector stuff is it's hard it is hard 
Yeah, and um, you're, you're used to a bit of a bit of competition. You've been in some big races in, in, in your life, and we're seeing even the big the big players in that. So this week, McMillan announced hundreds of redundancies. Um, mm. they're, you know, big fixed costs there. Like you say, they have. <laughs> you'd, you'd imagine they have quite deep pockets, but but even they're heavily affected by this and and their and their stuff. Mm. As you say, it's tough for tough for us all. I was just thinking to myself, bloody hell, Tom Williams was a bit more upbeat on this, wasn't he, when he came on the podcast? <laughs> was he laughing and giggling? Oh, he was all the oh, way through, Martin. You know, he was a joke a minute. He said, get my friend Martin on there. He'll make you smile and laugh. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you talked about when you met him. Was it, was it Lanzarote, Mallorca? It was in and... Ironman, Austria. I took him to pieces. Absolutely took him to the cleaners. <laughs> Despite the fact you'd had a massive crash the day before. Yeah, yeah. I, I raced on one. One leg, one leg yeah. with a broken arm. I had to oh. wait for him for four hours to finish. What was he doing? Yeah. <laughs> no, it was, um, yeah, it was way back, actually. He was working at the University of Leeds. Mm. Yeah, it was fun. Right. All good fun. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Martin, if there's anyone listening and, and has just heard your story and, and speak so eloquently about the, the challenges of a small charity, particularly at the moment, I mean, I know from my own experience, there's some great organisation, small, small Charities Coalition comes mm. to mind and others that I've come across in, in my role. But if there's anyone listening and wants to kind of reach out, maybe have a conversation, maybe thinks in some way they can support or help, where would you, where would you send them to? Check out the, the website, stormbreak.org.uk as a first point of call. And then pop us an email at hello at stormbreak.org.uk. And either me or the wonderful Judy will pick that up. Brilliant. Good. We're probably all itching for a tea. I'm sure I can smell something in cooking in my, in my kitchen, which I'm desperate to get to. Yeah. I'm what looking. have you got? Uh, go on. Let's have a get. Let's play a game. Is it possible to play Guess What's Cooking in Kenneth's Kitchen virtually? <laughs> That sounds like a new, a new, a new feature. We need scratch and sniff right, you, on Zoom. You describe the smell without saying what the smell is. Oaky. 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 Smoky. Oh. The kids have set fire. fire. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like it's burned. The kids. It reminds me. Okay, so I've got one parenting story for you. Right. <clears throat> we we started before you recording with parenting stories. I've got two twin two twin boys, age six now. And they are um, wonderfully lively. So I thought it'd be a good idea to teach them a few years ago <clears throat> how to start the fire, right? Open fire, Victorian fire, <laughs> Victorian fireplace in our front room, and how to like l- you know screw up balls of paper and put the kindling on and sit back and like carefully strike a match and watch the fire. You know, being a kind of dutiful careful dad i thought yeah great i've done my you know dad piece for fire starting <clears throat> a few days later liz, liz and i come, liz and i come back and we're like where are the boys we went into the front room and they very very carefully screwed up some newspaper got some kindling couple of fire lighters set up the whole fire looking all lovely about to throw some matches on it right in the middle of the room. Oh! <laughs> I'm like, no, no, the point is we do it in the fireplace. <laughs> oh, wow. Not in is the middle it, of the room, boys. Is that wow. lesson now on Stormbreak, is it? Oh. Is that, is that... <laughs> it's less than a minute in my house. <laughs> Brilliant. Yes, the challenges of small children. We we love them and, and hate them all at the same time. Um, barbecue. Barbecue, is it? Barbecue? It, oh, you might be onto something there. Yeah, it's some barbecue pulled pork, apparently. 
Is it? On a, on, it's on a on a Thursday evening. This is, Thing this is, is your average Thursday no, evening. No, this dinner. is not my average Thursday evening dinner. My wife said, "Oh, I bought some reason some flatbreads, some pulled pork. It sounds good." So oh. yeah. How I'm far not, is Cambridge I'm, from, from South London? I'll be quite, there. Quite far. I'll be there. So I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not wanting to wrap this up at all, gents. You know, I just don't want to get in there. And with three hungry kids, that could quite easily be destroyed within... You know what it's like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But Martin, before we let you go, we wanted yeah. to ask you a couple of quick fire questions that we okay. have, that we ask all our guests. Jimbo, do you want to go for the first one? I'll go first. Go on then. If you could transport back in time and meet mm-hmm. your 20-year-old self, what piece of advice would you give and why? I think I would probably say to my 20, I mean, quite specific with 20 year old self, I would say to myself, take that step. It's not quite as scary as you think it's going to be. It took me a while to learn that element of courage, proper courage to do something out of your comfort zone, not in a, bravado kind of way it doesn't need to be tough out of your comfort zone so that could be grief mm. you know if you take grief as in dealing with grief it's really hard to deal with grief and face grief properly mm. it puts you out of your comfort zone it's actually more straightforward to put a lid on it and and hide it away um so i think for you know yeah my 20 years 20 year old self take like take the step it's probably not as scary as you think it is right martin next second question can you tell us about one life hack or productivity tool a habit or a skill or something that you've taught yourself recently that you think everybody needs to know about something i've done recently that's really taught me something Mm. um when i when you say no to something i i don't believe in streamlining i definitely don't believe in like be the best you can be, be the best version of yourself. Oh gosh. You know, but what I (laughs) like, but what I do believe is that I've had to learn to say no to more things. And, and in doing so I've like had to do that without it affecting me too much. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes you've just got, sometimes you've got to go. No. You know, and the benefit of you saying no helps you, but also probably helps somebody else too. You know, like I've dropped out of a few things I thought I would do recently. And as a commitment fan, like I find that really difficult, Mm. but actually, so it's not supposed to be like a life hack or a thing of aggression, but actually sometimes saying no can be really helpful. It can be very productive elsewhere, can't it? So that makes makes sense. Go on, James. One question for you. As a podcast that is focused around people doing more good, what is your favourite story or inspiring individual you have met on your journey or recently who's done something good for others? I was really influenced by a guy called David Hemery. Uh, um, you may, some of you may know David Hemery. You know, he's He's an incredible, he won the 1968 Olympic Games over 400 metre hurdles, you know, and David had a really compassionate, caring, giving nature, but was also incredibly focused. 
you know, like did a PhD at Boston University, wrote an amazing book uh, about athlete personalities and changes. I can't remember what it was called. Set up the first kind of business performance consultancy with a guy called Sir John Whitmore, you know, and so had this amazing life of walking through his life and being able to like touch the people that surrounded him with positivity, you know, in doing so he could then shape and change their lives. And so I count myself in, in that. No. So I think, yeah, that's probably one person who it's a long time. It's probably 20, 20 odd years ago. And, you know, I would read about, watch about, was lucky to meet, then work with, and then probably haven't spoken to him in, 10 years or so so it's not that recent but it's a sticker just like this conversation will be for us martin yeah and you of course Kenneth. <laughs> <laughs> I, should, ah, I should have got should have got you in first <laughs> well look not not so much touching people of course at a social distance that, that that's all fine <laughs> look martin thank you so much for your time and, 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 and sharing that story with us i think it's you know i've really really enjoyed hearing about Stormbreak. really enjoyed hearing about the upside of, of starting a small charity and actually the impact that you can have. But, you know, I think it's also great to be honest and open about the challenges and actually that this, this starting a charity, any small business isn't easy. And so, you know, we just want to wish you lots of luck with it. I mean, it's certainly something that I'll look to continue to support as much as I can, because I think it's, it's needed now, possibly more than, than ever before. So good luck. Yeah. With thanks it man. There's, it's great. Thanks for, you know, the stuff you do. It's hard sometimes, isn't it? Because, there's so much out there that needs so many people's support and help. So mm. sometimes it becomes a bit hard to concentrate your, your gaze, but it's necessary. James, any I, final thoughts? If, if, if we burnt his dinner yet, if we keep him chatting, <laughs> right, he'll be barbecued. He'll be barbecued to within an inch of its life. I think I can see smoke actually out that window. <laughs> no, that oaky I'm, smell has started to come down the microphone. I'm worried because that oaky smell has actually now completely gone, yeah. <laughs> which, isn't, which isn't a good sign. That's the kids tucking <laughs> into your tea. Absolutely. <laughs> all right, Martin, James, catch up soon. Thanks again, Martin, and we'll speak to you all soon. Thanks, Cheers. guys. Thank you. Just before we go, next time we're talking to Jay Flynn. That's the Jay Flynn behind Jay's virtual pub quiz. We hear his incredible story, from sleeping out on the streets of London to supporting the charity which helped him by running online events for over 180,000 households a night and picking up an MBE along the way. We'll speak to you then.